Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain Care, where we make you the complete clinician. Coming at you for another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast. And this week, we wanted to talk about something that was spurred by a question Jared was getting in university uh, in his lab instructing uh, about uh, shoulder pain. Um, is it really shoulder pain? Uh, and some of the clinical decision making and kind of clinical uh, examination types skills that one needs to determine. Are we really dealing with something that's primarily being driven by a shoulder issue or is this shoulder pain that patients often ascribe to a shoulder pain? Is it might be something else? Obviously, the cervical spine being a common common contributor to that. So before we get into this discussion, let's let's see how Jared's doing today. How are you doing there, Jared? I'm doing fantastic, man. It is Friday morning, as you well know, which means that we're about to get into the weekend and uh, going to visit my mom this weekend, you know, just kind of check out, decompress, put the phone away and uh, have a little relaxation. So things are going well on my end. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's always good to to get some normalcy in life. Um, So talk to us a little bit about the, you know, the, the kind of, cause we, we, you just told me off air here, what, what kind of situation, um, brought on this discussion and brought on the topic that we're talking about today. Um, give us a little bit of background of kind of, and, and, and can set the stage for us of, of kind of where we're at with this discussion. Sure. So first of all, I want to apologize to people for the, for the title. Is this really shoulder pain? If it hurts in somebody's shoulder, it's shoulder pain, right? But the question is, why does it hurt in their shoulder? And uh, I was in class the other day and I was going through a case study um, of one of my patients with the students. And, um, you know, I said, hey, this is a 45 year old male that presents with right shoulder pain. It hurts when they reach overhead. It hurts when they reach behind their back, et cetera. They're, they're an IT worker. So they sit in this, uh, you know, forward head, rounded shoulders position all day long, et cetera. But then they like to go play tennis on the weekends or pickleball on the weekends. And they got this shoulder pain. Um, so the students were like, okay, Okay, perfect. Let's let, let's evaluate the shoulder. And they did active range of motion and they saw that the guy had a painful arc and they uh, did a little bit of a Hawkins Kennedy test. And they're like, oh, man, that really hurts his shoulder. Did a external rotation uh, strength test, found that it was a little bit weak and that it was painful to do that. They wanted to do a near test uh, near the ear test, you know, uh, uh, flexion over pressure. And that was also painful. And the students immediately said, boom. This guy is positive for the park at all, uh, you know, subacromial impingement, rotator cuff, tendinopathy, irritation, test cluster. This has definitely got to be that. Let's go straight into it. We're going to work on the shoulder, work on the shoulder, work on the shoulder. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is they, they tunnel visioned in on the shoulder because they saw a mechanical irritation of the shoulder and it followed a specific pathway uh, or a, a specific presentation. But they immediately forgot to screen this patient's neck. And if they would have screened this patient's neck, which is what I found in clinic, 
that person also had pain uh, with a Sperling's test or, you know, an ipsilateral kind of compression or foraminal closing type of position. Uh, they had relief with a little bit, uh, they had relief of their rotator cuff tendinopathy with a little bit of distraction. They had reduced cervical range of motion, especially rotation to that same side where they're kind of maybe quote unquote, closing down the neural foramen or closing down the facet or whatever it is, increasing mechanical load to the irritated side. Um, and when we went through this, they were like, well, okay, uh, you know, I kind of caught him off guard. I said, well, this guy also had all this other stuff. And they're like, well, does he have two individual issues going on? Um, it, it, because students like to, of course, you know, you got to you got to separate things. You can't have, you know, two things that play off of each other or, you know, unified or, or, or conjoined presentations. It was like this guy has a cervical radiculopathic presentation or cervical radicular pain. And they also have subacromial impingement syndrome or subacromial pain syndrome. Um, and I wanted to talk about this because I see this every single year, every single cohort of students and every single student that I've taken on clinical rotations, they have maybe trouble thinking about how the neck can influence shoulder pain and shoulder sensitivity. Um, so, so when we think about the subacromial space and we think about the rotator cuff muscles, the, the supraspinatus, the infraspinatus, et cetera, well, these things are innervated by the suprascapular nerve. They're innervated by kind of maybe the dorsal scapular nerve in that area, the upper and lower, uh, you know, subscapular nerves. And, uh, those all come from C5, C6, right? If you follow, track those up through the brachial plexus, uh, the subacromial space in the rotator cuff is primarily innervated by the mid-cervical spine. In knowing what we know about referred hyperalgesia and knowing what we know about, you know, orthodromic and axodromic flow and that sort of thing, irritation, you know, up and down the, the chain of the nerve. Uh, if we have a little bit of neural irritation, it's not unreasonable to think that other structures down the pathway of that nerve could become sensitive. They could change the way that they function and that somebody could very easily develop a subacromial pain type presentation or sensitivity to mechanical load in the subacromial space and structures uh, because they have a more proximal issue causing that nerve to maybe uh, be a little bit more reactive. Um, so rather than thinking about this as two individual issues, you, you might even be able to think about it as one issue driven secondarily to another issue. Uh, and, and then they kind of play off of each other and they become a conjoined issue. And that's a really difficult concept for a lot of students to get uh, but it's a conversation that I find myself having kind of every year, multiple times a year. What are your thoughts on that, Mark? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a good example of, of where I think you and I all and all of us, uh, unless you're uh, failing to recognize your growth as a clinician, uh, that you where we all were. You know, it's just that, you know, we really tend to it's the anchoring bias. It's this like first piece of information we grab onto. That's it. There it is. And then you in that you know, especially when you have this kind of very algorithmic way of thinking as you're, you're early on in your career to where you hear this story that, that fits, that's subacromial pain syndrome. 
Which again, definitely per definition of the park studies and different things, it does fit. But then, you know, you got to expand your reasoning and your thinking and, and cast a wide net when you're, when you're in the clinic and not just anchor on the first piece of information. Definitely should say, Hey, it's, that's high on my hypothesis list, but you know what? I better make sure I screen this neck too and make sure that there's no contributing factors with the neck. But, um, yeah, it's a common thing. I definitely think uh, we seem still in clinics and, and, and in the folks we mentor in clinic that that's, that's a hard kind of, uh, you know, cause oftentimes too, when you see these folks clinically, they don't, I mean, so there are the rare occasions where that's that Sperling's test and that rotation re- recreates that exact shoulder pain. Then it's like, Oh yeah, there's definitively some, you know, things, but sometimes it's just like, man, it is, does, I don't turn to that side and it's just all kind of in the, maybe it's all just hanging out in the CT junction. Um, you know, they got a retraction that's kind of limited and painful, you know, they got, you know, a Sperling's test that, that, you know, again, it, it may drift towards the shoulder, but doesn't perfectly recreate it. Cause I think there is some struggles that people have. If it doesn't perfectly recreate symptoms, that means it isn't a problem. And, um, and it may not be, I think you gotta be careful that it be, you might be trying to find a neck that isn't, uh, that it contributing to the shoulder that isn't contributing, but it, again, you should entertain the hypothesis. Then you can also do, and I know uh, I wouldn't say I, I do a segmental mobility assessment, but I do a segmental sensitivity assessment. And when I'm doing my UPAs through that area, like Jared said, C5, C6, get them prone, maybe get them sidelined into UPAs and you just assess, is there a difference side to side from a sensitivity perspective that might make sense for some of that uh, sensitivity that Jared said can kind of orthodromically head down towards the, um, you know, the you know, subacromial space, but also there's some, you know, some uh, branches that will innervate the local, you know, uh, joint facet regions and different things. Again, I'm not going to get too worried about, is it a, you know, facet, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say, if I can find, you know, some familiar symptoms in the C5, C6 region, that might be worth treating with some graded oscillations, mobs. Maybe again, we're not probably doing a ton of mechanical things there, but am I modifying sensitivity? And but then you have to have a clinical process to determine what's changing what. And that's where I, you know, if you're trying to the best best thing that I find when I'm trying to weed through is this shoulder pain coming from the neck is make sure I have some measurables from the shoulder, that abduction and flexion and reaching behind, especially the things that the patient says, again, I can't reach overhead or I can't reach behind. Have them demonstrate that stuff, kind of quantify it to some extent, and then go in and treat the neck and see what changes as a result of you monkeying with their neck and, and give it a good treatment. You know, don't just like give it a, you know, 10 second wiggle and, oh, it didn't change it and, you know, move on. But make sure you've done some things where you've got on that sensitive segment. I'll often get on that sensitive segment with UPAs and just say, hey, I'm going to be putting some oscillate. I'm going to get some movement through this area. It's a little bit sensitive. What I'm trying to do is kind of work some movement here to see if we can decrease that sensitivity. There is some thoughts that this sensitivity can have some, you know, effect on what you're feeling with your shoulder. You know, we saw when your exam that when we turned, it definitely was getting in some pain that seemed to be close to where your shoulder pain has uh, been present. Let's, I just want to see what's, what's playing a role in what. And then as I do this, let me know how it goes. And then you just get on there and you do your mobs and then, Hey, as I'm doing this, what is, what's happened to that sensitivity? Is it staying the same or is it changing? Um, and then let, hopefully you can achieve that condition pain modulation response to where I've delivered a treatment to where I've, you know, garnered a response to, of a change and then get the patient up and recheck their shoulder and see what happens. But I do think, and, and now I'm still clinically kind of anchored on a shoulder and then yeah, God, three, three sessions later, you should be checking to see, obviously, if you're making some headway on things and God, it just isn't. And then you, you go back and you really rescreen the neck and find there's some things there. But again, you should just be entertaining hypothesis, not anchoring in yourself to the point you're excluding other hypothesis for no reason. 
Um, and, and, you know, again, keeping that net wide, but also your, your clinical exam doesn't stop visit one. It's start, it's a constant examination, test, treat, retest process that, um, should, should move itself along the way. Obviously, hopefully we get to the point where, you know, pain's not the bigger limiter and you're moving more towards functional movement exercise type approaches. But yeah, I think it's one of those things where we often kind of, you know, fall victim to that cognitive bias of, of anchoring. And it's, it's one that I think being aware of is, is hugely important, but as a student also being aware of, of what a sensitive C5, C6 can materialize. It can look very much exactly like a textbook, um, you know, rotator cuff, uh, you know, tendinopathy even can look very similar to, uh, you know, the subacromial pain syndrome, although that diagnosis is getting, you know, uh, you know, questioned Jeremy Lewis and others, uh, rightfully so talking about that, you know, this, this quest for, you know, identifying the per specific structure or that the mechanism is this acromium rubbing on the top side of the rotator cuff when most of the tears are on the articular side. A lot of things that we could probably talk about. And I think we have talked about a little bit on the podcast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just good clinical decision-making that you need to have in clinic to kind of weed through this stuff and, and be aware of how you're going to tend to want to fool yourself and anchor on things. But what have you seen uh, with maybe your students in university, maybe some of the folks we're mentoring um, in their practice, Jared, any, any other tips or things that you see uh, that might help folks out? Yeah, one of the things that I was thinking of uh, while you were talking is students, especially some some new grads, not so much really experienced clinicians, but definitely students and new grads have a tendency to take a referring diagnosis at face value. Um, and, and they see a referral come through and it's like, oh, this person has subacromial pain syndrome. Oh, they have subacromial impingement or whatever it is, right? A ro ro rotator cuff tear because um, the person went into their PCP or, or, or went to the ortho and they had this shoulder pain, the shoulder sensitivity, this, you know, pain with mechanical loading of the shoulder. So they do an MRI and that person has a small rotator cuff tear, but it's not large enough to do surgery on. So they're going to send them to PT. It's like, well, a lot of people end up blindly treating that referring diagnosis or blindly treating that image because, hey, dude, the MRI said there's a rotator cuff tear there. So that's absolutely what must be going on and not thinking, well, that subacromial area in general could be hypersensitive to mechanical load based on, you know, irritation somewhere else. So you end up treating somebody for five, six, seven, eight, 10 weeks or whatever. And, and they get better. They, you know, but it just never seems to go all the way away. They, they continue to kind of struggle with it. And, uh, and you never, you never zoom out to look at, Hey, what else could be causing a problem here? And, and I think it's important to really recognize that your tissue based mechanical tests can be positive if there's something, if there's a nerve issue causing it, because these tests just, they're pain provocation tests and that's it. Does it hurt if we put mechanical load through this thing? Well, sure. But it also hurts if you have a lumbar radiculopathy and you press on the, the neural pathway that's irritated, that typically becomes hypersensitive too. And we don't say, well, you've got a lateral leg skin pain problem. We say you got a, got a lumbar radiculopathy, right? So it's the, it is the same concept, but we seem to not recognize that concept when you take it to a different area of the body. Yeah. Uh, good points about the referring diagnosis. I always get on students. I'm like, you're paying a bun bunch of money for this, for this degree you're getting. Why don't you use it? And why don't you practice at the top of your license? This is not to dog our primary care physicians and other, other folks, but 
recognize that the clinical exam that they receive in the primary care physician's office is not nearly as detailed and as skilled as you as a clinician and, and a physical therapist, even chiropractic and other professions, and not because they're bad people or bad clinicians. One, they're not trained as highly as we are. So again, own your freaking degree that you you have that skill set and use it. And don't it doesn't mean that you go into that and oh, Doctor Smith, I don't know what they're thinking. It's not coming from the shoulder. This is coming from your neck. You know, you say, oh, Doctor Smith, awesome doctor. You know, love Doctor Smith. I mean, we got a great relationship. You know what? I definitely agree. The shoulders is sensitive here, but you know, we're seeing some things that are coming from your neck. That and again. The patient is, it's a pretty, pretty quick, easy sell when you'd monkey with their neck and do some things that in their neck and their shoulder pain changes. They don't give a crap what Dr. Smith said about their shoulder. If you do something with their neck and they make a dramatic change in how they're moving with their shoulder, the, you, there's no need to have a big discussion or question Dr. Smith. But again, recognize there are so many normal age-related things that happen in subacromial spaces too, that we have to be careful with imaging. I, I mean, the the spurs that, that are found there, the the, the rotator cuff tears, like Jared said, even full thickness tears and different things. I have a patient right now who got referred to me. She, she came to the doctor with primary complaints of right shoulder pain. And so the doctor, and, and there was also, she has history of lymphedema on the left side. Um, but they did a <clears throat> MRI of the right, the, or the left side, just because of the lymph, lymphedema. She has prior breast cancer. They wanted to make sure there was nothing going on um, from a, you know, cancerous lesion type thing on the left side. Again, no pain on the left side, all on the right side comebacks from the MRI for her left, uh, you know, upper quarter there. And they found a full thickness tear of her left rotator cuff. She has no pain. Doctor sends her to me because she's got a full thickness tear and she's like, Oh my God, what's going on. She's you know, obviously distressed. Cause she's had, you know, a, you know, lymphedema and that past, you know, cancer thing. It's been a decent amount in her past, but understandably that's something she's watchfully waiting and, and vigilant over as I would be if I had had that experience. But now she's got a rotator cuff tear there and she just didn't make sense. I don't have pain and am I going to need surgery and all these different things. But again, that's no pain. A good example of humans that have adapted very well to not a perfect structure, which I, there isn't a human carrying a perfect structure and just breaking news there for you guys. And it'd be okay. And that we just, I just instilled a boatload of confidence and reassurance in her and talked to her about, you know, validated, you know, understandable concern. Yeah, I can completely get why you would think, oh my God, I got this tear. Are you okay if we chat about what we know about, you know, shoulders and what they look like as we age? And she, you know, we basically talked her down a bit and she's fine. Her right shoulder's doing fine too. Cause we, it was just kind of loaded, you know, great sensitivity at the shoulder that's responded well to graded loading and all that good stuff. But yeah. Big thing is use your degree, be confident in it. Cause I think there is this kind of meekness. We come out, we don't have a huge amount of confidence in ourselves as a new grad and, you know, we're compete, we're going up against, you know, some 30, 40 years, you know, experienced physician. And I shouldn't say against, cause that's not what it is. We're all on a team here to help the patient. And that's how we should portray ourselves, but it's okay not to agree with them. And it's okay to, to use your own, have your own clinic. You should have your own clinical decision-making process. Don't just let that prescription make the decision for you let your clinical skills and decision making and expertise add what it should to the patient's equation you're not serving a patient well by by harnessing your expertise because you're afraid to counteract the physician's diagnosis you do it in a professional manner you do it in a way that that uh, doesn't you know damage the relationship or the patient's perception of the physician but you're you're serving the best interest of the patient by using your degree and doing all the things that you were trained to do i know for me i had a very hard time 
having those discussions with physicians. And then again, it's not a discussion that needs to be one of negativity. You say, Hey, Dr. Smith, I, you, you sent me this patient for shoulder pain. Thank you so much for that referral. It's been, I bet, you know, she, she's doing great. Just wanted to let you know, here's what we found in the clinical exam. Um, especially if there's, you know, the patient going to go see the physician and they might be talking about the neck to the physician. You just want to set the stage where the patient doesn't say some things that, you know, because what you say to a patient, what the patient then translates to physician doesn't always come across perfectly normal or is what you expect it to. So you just kind of, you know, maybe write a letter of different things, say, hey, no, we're seeing that positive spurlings and, you know, there's definitely sensitivity to C5, C6. And hey, when I work on C5, C6, I can eradicate or painful arc or, or different things. So I do think there's a cervical component to this. Um, and there's some definite sensitivity to the shoulder. I would agree with you, but I, um, we've been treating the neck just to let you know. So, you know, if there's a physician who might have that, but you support it with your clinical judgment and very, you know, you lay out a case, not based on your opinion, but based on objective data that you've that you've gathered in your examination and your treatment. So you can support what you're doing and not feel like you're going to get a call from the physician. What the hell are you doing with my patient with shoulder pain? Now I've had the occasional physician who, for whatever reason, can't handle that. There's, you know, other folks that have, you know, skill sets and expertise that might weigh in a little differently on their perception of what's going on in the shoulder, but that's a very rare case. But that was a diatribe and that was a soapbox, but uh, any, um, any uh, thoughts that you have or you would add to that, Jared? No, you know, not, I, I don't really think that I have a lot that I would add to that, but this is, I think that this is just another really good example of um, experts do the basics really, really well. And in a, in a case like this, screening out the spine consistently, if somebody has shoulder pain, consistently screening out the cervical spine is, is where you should always start. And if somebody has hip or knee pain, you should always start with screening the lumbar spine, you know, so, uh, don't get blinded by, you know, the body part that somebody walks in with, right. You know, don't, don't, don't think it's your two o'clock hip as, as Joletta has told us, or your, your two o'clock knee or whatever it is, or your one o'clock shoulder this is somebody that's coming in a person that's attached to the rest of their body and a nervous system and a brain and, you know, et cetera. Uh, and they're coming in with that pain and, and do your due diligence by making sure that, that you're doing the basics well and consistently. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 again, I think there's this thought that there's some Jedi tricks that, you know, you need to have years of experience to be able to do this stuff. Well, I think if you have a good clinical process right out of the gate, that helps you kind of, um, you know, be able to weed through this decision-making process and, and really help yourself kind of have that kind of clinical reasoning where you're not falling victim to the anchoring bias and all that different things um, that can be helpful. And as we mentioned that, you know, Jared and I've talked about it, we're coaching and mentoring clinicians as we speak on these very things. So if you're ever interested in having a discussion with Jared and I to see if it's a good fit in your practice, don't hesitate to reach out modernpaincare.com slash call. And we're happy to jump on a call with you and see if there's something we can do to help you in your practice. The biggest thing that really driv drove us to, to create this is, you know, weekend courses, great, nothing wrong with them, but they don't give you that, that, you know, kind of guidance in the midst of the fire that you're in, in the clinic day-to-day -day basis, you have that course on Saturday and Sunday, and then Tuesday, something happens. You got a patient like, well, I don't really have that instructor near me. Um, so we created our coaching, our mentorship program where, Hey, I'm going to reach out to Jared or Mark. I'm going to text them. I'm going to message them. I'm going to get on the, the call with them. And we're going to talk through this case and what I should or shouldn't do with it um, and, and get some good evidence-based guidance, um, person-centered care guidance to, to help you out. But if that's something you're interested in, definitely jump on there. We're happy to have a discussion with you and uh, see if we can help you out. But uh, otherwise, hopefully this episode has been helpful for you guys. Um, we'll be definitely doing more clinical topics such as this. And we're happy to do other topics that might be interesting to you. Um, we've got a few suggestions that have come in from our students. 
Um, and from some folks that listen to the podcast on the regular, we really want to thank you all who are listening to us regularly. Um, we've enjoyed making these episodes. We try to make them tailored to what you guys are interested in hearing about so that by that, we would like to hear you um, by, through comments, emails, uh, all messages to let us know how we're doing, what we can do better, what you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, and we will definitely take those uh, opinions that are advisement and, and create episodes as a result. With that said, hopefully you guys have a wonderful rest of your week, weekend, whatever time of the week it is for you guys. And then we will talk to you next time. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.